When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and today let's bring you a guilty verdict in the deaths of 34 people off the shores of Santa Barbara, California in 2019. All right, it was September 2nd of 2019, and the dive boat, the Conception, was anchored near Santa Cruz Island. 33 passengers and six crew members were aboard the ship on a multi-day dive trip. And it was evening, and the three-deck wooden-hold boat was on the last day of that three-day trip, resting at sea about 27 miles from Santa Barbara. The trip was centered there in order to experience the Channel Islands, which is a national park at sea filled with kelp forests, sea caves, and coves, and divers might see moray eels or octopus, maybe some rock scallops, and obviously a wide variety of fish species. In warmer months, a diver might even see a 500-pound giant black sea bass. 
but they most certainly will view vibrant marine life and coral and kelp forests that are described as an important aquatic ecosystem that provides habitat for more than 800 species of marine life. And it kind of feels like you're swimming through a lush forest of trees, but it's underwater. So no wonder these 33 people signed up for this dive trip. Five crew members were asleep in the wheelhouse on the top deck, with all the other passengers and another crew member sleeping below deck. Shortly after 3 a.m., a crew member awoke to see flames engulfing the boat. He aroused everyone by shouting, Fire! Fire! The captain made a mayday call to the Coast Guard as the other crew members tried to open the hatch to the lower decks. They were met with flames that spread immediately through the upper deck. Then the captain and the crew members jumped into the ocean to avoid being swallowed up by the flames. And the 34 people trapped below tried unsuccessfully to escape the smoke-filled bunk room because flames were blocking the stairs. Now, the scene wasn't complete chaos, surprisingly. I, you, you would think it would be. But it wasn't complete chaos. And we know because one passenger filmed a 24-second video. In the video, you can hear the fire alarm going off as the bunk room fills with smoke. You also hear one passenger say, hey, you guys, there's got to be another way out of here. Now, as the smoke from the fire was suffocating the passengers, some of the five crew members actually realized what they had done by leaving the boat, and they tried to reboard the conception, but their efforts were futile. They then used a dinghy to paddle to a neighboring boat to call for help. Now, family members were devastated by the deaths and also infuriated by the crew, and most especially Captain Jerry Boylan, for abandoning the boat. They were also left with little answers, as the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives built a full-scale mock-up model of the middle deck of the 75-foot vessel. They're just trying to determine the cause and burn pattern that trapped the 34 people in the blazing inferno. Well, initially, officials with the National Transportation Safety Board focused the blame on charging areas where divers plugged in like their lithium-ion batteries for cameras or their phones or their computers. But that possible cause, see, that was spurred by a crew member speculation. That possible cause just wasn't checking out. So eventually, the ATF focused on a 23-gallon rubber-made Slim Jim garbage bin that sat beneath the stairs to the main deck. Now, those stairs were the only way out. And here's the crazy part. After examining thousands of pieces of evidence, as well as a sister vessel nearly identical to the conception, they then conducted several burn tests. The ATF is certain the blaze started in the garbage can, but they don't know what was in the garbage can that initially began burning. The ATF said they can't rule out discarded smoking material like maybe a marijuana cigarette or a regular cigarette or the possibility of combustible materials being put into the garbage can and then that might have possibly ignited paper towels or other discarded items. Now, some evidence was discovered, like the fact that two crew members tested positive for marijuana but they denied smoking on board the Conception. And the captain, well, he smoked, but he said he never discarded his cigarette butts on board, claiming he always threw them into the sea. 
Now, a birthday celebration had taken place aboard the boat the day before, but the crew member said the candles were safely extinguished. And one crew member said four smaller trash bins had been dumped into the bigger trash bin right before everyone went to sleep for the night. But the ATF could not verify what was in those smaller trash bins. And here's one problem with that. Some trash cans are made of polyethylene, and those types of trash cans were prohibited in sleeping areas on boats because they are highly combustible. So they believe some of those trash cans were on the conception. And you guys, there's even more problems. All right. See, the boat captain was arrested and charged with seaman slaughter for the failures in manning the boat properly. Okay, never even heard of that charge till I did this story. So here's what happens. Here is what the U.S. Attorney's Office claimed the captain did wrong, that a captain is supposed to do right during his overseeing of the boat. They say he failed to have a night watch or roving patrol. The office believes everyone was asleep aboard the Conception that night, and that is punishable by law. He also failed to conduct sufficient crew training and a fire drill. They say on the night of the fire, he failed to offer firefighting instructions to the crew. Instead, they just jumped into the ocean. They also say he failed to attempt to use any firefighting equipment on the night of the blaze. The boat had a fire axe and fire extinguishers, but the captain did not use those resources to help trapped passengers. He also did not alert the passengers to the fire by using the public address system. And lastly, he was the first crew member to abandon the boat, even though he knew passengers were alive below deck. Well, finally, four years later, Jerry Boylan faced a trial and was found guilty of seaman slaughter. He will be sentenced next year in February, and he could face up to 10 years in prison. Now, the captain is currently not in custody. He will be sentenced and then taken into custody. U.S. Attorney Martin Estrada said in a statement about the verdict that the ship's captain's unpardonable cowardice led to the death of 34 lives. He said the jury found that the tragedy could have been avoided had the captain simply performed the duties he was entrusted to carry out. And this isn't the only court case surrounding the tragedy. The families of the victims are suing the U.S. Coast Guard, alleging that inspectors allowed the operator of the conception to allow the boat to operate despite having substandard safety systems. Now, it's important to note that the lawsuit says Coast Guard had certified the boat to carry up to 40 passengers overnight, despite the fact that the boat's fire detection system and the passenger accommodation escape hatch were in open violation of federal regulations. Now, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens in that civil lawsuit. As I researched this case, and most importantly, the victims, I was really struck by how interesting these victims' lives seemed. These were the kind of people that I would have loved to chat with over dinner, just asking them questions about their travels and their career paths. Let me just highlight some of the interesting facts I learned about these victims. Aboard the Conception, celebrating their daughter's birthday, were 55-year-old Apple engineer Steve Seliak and his wife, 60-year-old Diana Adamic. But it wasn't just the three of them, you know, mom, dad, and 17-year-old Tia. The group also included Tia's friend, Bernice Felipe. And those two girls attended Pacific Collegiate Charter School. That's a high-performing institution that served grades 7 through 10. 
Now, also in the group was Steve's work colleague, 46-year-old Dan Garcia. And the whole group had a love of diving. In fact, Tia had learned to dive when she was six. And for every year of her life since, the family had gone on diving trips together. But it wasn't just diving that held their passion. Both girls volunteered at the Santa Cruz Animal Shelter along with Tia's mom, Diana. They were advocating for orphaned kittens and birds. Well, also on the conception that night was another group celebrating a birthday. 57-year-old Michael Quetasal was being honored on his birthday by his two daughters, Evan and Angela, and also the girl's stepmother, Fernisa Sison. They were also a family that loved scuba diving and had been enjoying the sport for more than a decade. The family also worked in the medical field in nursing and education. Now, two more scuba enthusiasts were on the conception on that fateful night. Adrian and Andrew Fritz, both 40 years old, had just moved to California from Texas. Adrian had accepted a position as a senior environmental scientist for California's Ocean Protection Council. And Andrew was still nurturing his photography business. He shot all kinds of events and subjects, but his true love was teaching others how to operate the camera. He would teach classes that would be sold out for months. Andrew had also traveled the world scuba diving in appreciation of the ocean's beauty. And two work friends had also decided to enjoy the boat trip that September. Carrie McLaughlin and Christian Takvam both had vibrant careers at the education platform Brilliant. That company was home-based in San Francisco. Both were engineers and were said to bring immense passion to their work. Then there were the two scuba diving extremists from Arizona. Neil Baltz and Patricia Betzinger lived in southern Phoenix, but had traveled the world together taking scuba diving lessons in Micronesia and also the Caribbean. They also shared the love of wine together, so much so that Neil would work his day job as an engineer and then took classes to learn about wine at a local community college. He also worked at the Southwest Wine Center. All right, 41-year-old Christy Finstad first strapped on a scuba tank at the age of nine. At the age of 40, she had participated in hundreds of dives. She was the leader of the three-day dive trip on the Conception. She said on her company's website that her mission was to inspire appreciation for the underwater world. She had owned worldwide diving adventures since taking it over from her mother, who started the company back in the 1970s. She and her husband had recently returned from sailing across the South Pacific. It was a dream that they had made happen after hatching the idea on a cocktail napkin in 2006. You guys, the entire journey took them three years. Now that's dedication to a dream and a hobby that you love. Then there were the father and daughter scientists who dove the Channel Islands at least twice a year. 59-year-old Scott Chan and 26-year-old Kendra Chan shared the love of science and diving. Scott had retired from his lucrative tech career in Silicon Valley to return to the high school level teaching science. Kendra was a wildlife biologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Ventura. Kendra was fascinated by marine ecology, and she shared her passion with anyone who would listen. Charles McIlvain and his close friend, Mary Beth Guinea, were both outdoor enthusiasts. Mary Beth, who formerly lived in Boston, and she worked for the New England Patriots as a sales executive there, she was an ocean enthusiast, which spurred her move to California. And Charles worked as a visual effects designer for Walt Disney Imagineering. 
He had also worked on projects for Sony and Netflix. Two of his bigger films were Spider-Man and Green Lantern. Now, a Culver City councilman said he and Charles were good friends, and he said he couldn't emphasize enough the unique combination of creativity, intelligence, and wonderful presence that Charles had. And others remembered Mary Beth as the person everyone wanted to be around. Vaidehi Williams had so much passion for ocean conservation that she gave presentations about water conservation in schools. She worked for the Soquel Creek Water District and had two young children. She had the nickname of Water Princess and had recently started the Geographic Information System platform for the Water District. Now another scuba diving lover, 52-year-old Lisa Feidler, was truly a creative soul. A cosmetologist by trade, she had found her new passion for wildlife photography. She had traveled to Guatemala, China, Tibet, and Holland to photograph nature. Her mother described her as someone who was fiercely independent, and also that she was part fish because of her ocean addiction. And lastly, the one crew member who died in the fiery crash, 26-year-old Allie Kurtz. Now, a deckhand on the conception, Allie grew up in Illinois, but moved to California to pursue acting. But once she began living near the ocean, she fell in love with the water and fulfilled her desire to work on a boat. Her father and sister said they weren't surprised by her career change. They joked she had fins and gills. Now, this case has left me conflicted. There was a part of me that wanted more justice for the families, obviously. But it left me asking if a 10-year prison sentence was enough justice. But then there was a part of me that said, maybe he really did all he could. Maybe the requirements of a captain are outdated. But then (laughs) I went back to the other side and said, of course they're not outdated. People's lives were at stake. So you guys, I just don't know. I would love to hear what you think. So let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram. Now to Hollywood, where an A-list talent agent's son has been arrested for murder times three. 35-year-old Sam Haskell IV is the son of Sam Haskell III, obviously. His father was the longtime CEO of Miss America and even married 1977's Miss Mississippi Mary Donnelly Haskell. He took over the pageant in 2005, and during his time, he was instrumental in modernizing the pageant. He did things like eliminating the swimsuit portion of the pageant and also making the focus of the pageant more scholarship-based. Well, he resigned from that position in 2017 following an email scandal in which leaked messages showed Sam writing offensive comments about former contestants. But before the Miss America organization, Sam Haskell IV was a newcomer to the Hollywood scene. After marrying Mary and graduating from the University of Mississippi, he landed a job at the William Morris Agency and went on to represent prominent stars like George Clooney, Ray Romano, Whoopi Goldberg, and Dolly Parton. And Dolly seems to be their favorite. You're going to see that throughout this story. Now, during this time, Sam III and Mary gave birth to two children, Sam IV and his sister, Mary Lane. I don't even know how confusing this household is, you guys. You have two Sams and two Marys. Let's talk about the daughter. We'll get to Sam IV in a moment. Mary, the daughter, was born in 1989, and she has been in the entertainment industry since the age of five when she appeared in a Disney production. 
She performed at Carnegie Hall at the age of 18 and has since landed roles on one of our favorites, NBC's Law & Order SVU, and also ABC's Scandal. Okay, so let's get to Sam the fourth. Who is he? Well, one thing is for certain. In the confidence-testing realm of Hollywood, Sam the fourth has fallen short of meeting the level of prominence and status that his father achieved. He has, in recent years, directed low-budget slasher films. He's also been working on a film titled Harvard Law that centers around a drug scene. He also has a, maybe the words rambling TikTok, that you can find under the name Tragic Streets with a Z, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Well, Sam IV married 37-year-old May Lee when the two met at Cal State University, Northridge, and then the two had three sons together. Sam V, James Donnelly, and William Kirkpatrick II. And I have no clue where the lineage for William comes in at, but they now have a fifth and a second amongst their sons. Okay, Sam and May and their three sons lived in a six-bedroom home in Tarzana, California. May's parents also lived there, and I'm going to give it a really strong effort here on pronunciation. Her parents are 64-year-old Yajing Wang and 72-year-old Gashan Lee. I really hope I got those right. Now, a close neighbor friend of May told KTLA that outwardly, May and Sam didn't seem that warm with each other. She said they just weren't affectionate and you didn't look to them as having this really great marriage. But she also clarified that May was really outgoing and Sam was more reserved and quiet. She said she didn't know any of the issues in the marriage, but they just didn't really match. All right, the neighbor described Sam the Fourth as quiet, but that doesn't mean he was meek. In 2008, Sam was arrested and charged with two counts of assault with a deadly weapon. He pled no contest to those charges and was placed on three years probation, which he successfully served. But last week, Sam found himself in the court system again. According to police records, last week Sam hired some day laborers to come to his home to help remove trash that he had gathered. Four men showed up to complete the job, and they were shown to the garage where heavy black plastic bags were waiting to be removed. Sam told the workers that the bags contained rocks that were gathered during some yard work. And for the task, Sam was going to pay the four $500. Now they took the three large bags from the garage, but almost instantly, they were suspicious. KNBC reported that the workers said the bags felt soft and soggy. They said each bag weighed about 50 pounds, and they were more inclined to think the bags held meat instead of rocks. Well, after leaving the home, they stopped to examine the bags. When one of the workers peered inside the black plastic, they found body parts, specifically a belly button connected to a torso. Now, the workers said they were astonished, and they turned right around and took the bags back to the residence. They also gave the money back to Sam the Fourth. And Sam must have been caught off guard, and he obviously tried to cover with the workers by saying that what they saw in the bags were Halloween props. Well, they didn't buy it. Clearly, that's not checking out as the truth. So the workers left and immediately called 911. When officers made a visit to the home, they didn't find anything amiss in their cursory examination. And I need you to remember here, they don't have a warrant. They only have suspicion. So their hands are a little tied in this first visit. 
But then, later that day, a homeless man was rummaging through a dumpster in Encino, California. He opened a heavy black plastic bag and discovered a human torso. The homeless man contacted LAPD, and that's when they connected the two calls. Now, if you want to see pictures of this dumpster, they'll be up on the social media profiles. But let me kind of explain to you that this isn't in a sheltered or hidden area. More than a dozen parked cars are seen in the photos of the parking lot where the dumpster is located. So this is a camera gold mine for investigators. It took a matter of minutes before the police were able to secure surveillance footage that shows what they believe is Sam Haskell IV in his white Tesla pulling up to that dumpster. He exits the car and opens the rear hatch. There, he struggles removing a heavy black plastic bag from the Tesla. He is then seen pushing the bag up and over the rim of the dumpster. And then he leaves. Detectives secured a warrant for Sam's home. And when they returned to do a much more thorough search, LAPD detective Efron Gutierrez told KABC that in the house, they found specific evidence of a crime that included blood and other items that could be used in the murder and dismembering of a body. Sam was arrested following the search and has now been charged with three counts of murder. He is being held without bail. So, whose torso is it in the black plastic bag? Authorities believe that the torso belongs to Sam's wife, May. They also believe that May's parents are missing, and that's where the three murder charges come into play, which, in my opinion, is bold because they only have one body. But we also don't even know yet what evidence the detectives found at the home. They may have strong evidence showing the parents have been killed as well. And Deputy District Attorney Beth Silverman, she basically said as much on Monday. She said that no other bags containing body parts have been found. But she followed that up with this phrase, I don't need a body to charge someone with murder. But one clue that the case is not all the way buttoned up is that police have asked for help from the public in looking for two missing vehicles. And I think we can presume these cars might have belonged to the parents and possibly to May. Now, the two vehicles are a white VW Tiguan license plate 9ANC890 and a white 2014 Nissan Pathfinder license plate 7FRM190. Now, remember the neighbor and good friend of May that said Sam was quiet? Well, she also told the New York Post that Sam had an obsession with weapons, including bows and arrows, firearms, and samurai swords. And some of those weapons were on display in the home. The neighbor, who also has kids the age of May's children, said she didn't like her kids to play alone in the Haskell's home. She also said May didn't like having the weapons available and around her sons. Now, this friend lives directly next door to the Haskell's. And she said on Tuesday, okay, that's the day before the torso was found in the dumpster. She said on Tuesday, that her daughter was in her bedroom, which is on the side of the house that meets up next to the Haskells. She said her daughter heard a scream, something like, help, help, hello. And then a door slammed and tires screeched as a car drove off. Now, the friend has been the greatest source of information so far, and she seems to know May's habits and behaviors. She said her and May would take long walks during the COVID shutdown. And she also said that May's mother had a stroke just before COVID-19 hit in 2020, and that meant her movements were limited. 
But she did say the mother would sit in front of the Haskell's home and wave at people walking by. Now, the parents were Chinese nationals, and they didn't speak English, so May functioned as their interpreter. And the New York Post said May operated her own business called the Haskell Consulting Group, where she coached and aided foreign students with their college applications to higher-level universities in America. And a business profile showed the company has three employees and that the company generated $63,000 in income last year. All right, that's not horrible. That's not much, though, especially when you factor in the cost of living in that specific area and also the size of the home they were living in. Now, my research revealed that multiple publications were speculating that Sam Haskell III was funding a portion of Sam and May's lifestyle, but I couldn't find enough evidence to say that definitively. So what about the three boys? Well, on the day of the arrest, Sam had already scheduled for his sister Mary to pick up the boys from school. When Mary arrived at the school, the boys had already been gathered by representatives from the state. May's neighborhood friend greeted Mary and told her about the arrest. She said Mary's response was that she couldn't believe this was happening and that she had seen the three boys the day before and that everything seemed normal. Now, May's friend said that May was dedicated to her boys, and that is something they shared, their love of being mothers. She also said she isn't doing well, knowing that the alleged murders occurred within feet of her home. All right, you guys, so much more is left to be told in this case. If you want to find out more about the Miss America scandal and Sam Haskell III, you can watch the A&E docuseries Secrets of Miss America. It was released in July. And Sam's next hearing is scheduled for early December. He will remain locked up at least until then. And then the conversation of Bell will be revisited at that time. And as always, I'll bring you the case updates when I know them. Well, that's your Thursday episode of Rise and Crime. Tell a friend about the podcast if you love it. And I always request that you give a like, a follow, or a thumbs up. Rise and Crime is also available free on Apple subscriptions and Patreon. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.